So to carry on our services now, we're going to carry on. We're going to read from the Bible. This is what Sam's going to talk from later, talking about that kind of the injustices of the world and talking about the God of the Old Testament. We're going to read from Exodus chapter 15, and the words will appear on the screen um, in front of you. I'm going to read from Exodus chapter 15. And up until now, we've been going through a series in Exodus. And Exodus is all about God kind of revealing himself, making himself known what he's about and what he's doing. And we've come to, you might, if you've never read the Bible, you might still have heard of the stories of the 10 plagues or the Red Sea. And we've just passed those stages where God reveals just how powerful he is. And like anyone in history, the natural reaction after you've come through this great victory where you've walked through the Red Sea and the enemy has been defeated, the Israelites sing. And that's what we're going to read today. We're going to read 13 verses from Exodus chapter 15. And this is just the thankfulness that they have. So follow along with me. These are the words. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his hosts he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them, they went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power, your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury, it consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The flood stood up in a pile. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. And you blew with your wind the sea that covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deed, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength and to your holy abode. Sam's now going to come and speak to us. <coughs> Well, uh, wonderful. Thank you very much, uh, Ian. Thank you, uh, Andy, for uh, playing for us. And it's really great uh, to see all of you here um, this morning, especially those of you who are, who are new and especially those of you who have come on Zoom as well to join us in the closer part of our church family. Um, we, it's really, really wonderful to see you. Uh, um, some faces I recognize as well. It's great to see you again. I haven't seen many of you um, in lockdown. It's great to see you on Zoom. So thank you very much uh, for coming, especially um, if you're new, if, if maybe you, you don't call yourselves um, a 
a Christian or, or you're investigating Christianity um, and uh, this is all very new to you. Perhaps those of you on Zoom as well who've been invited um, by your um, um, friends here in the church and maybe you're watching this morning against your better judgment. Well, uh, thank you very, very much uh, for being here. I really mean that. It's great to have you with us. And I do hope that uh, this morning is helpful as we, as we um, encourage you to consider the claims of Jesus and, uh, and the God um, of the Bible. Well, um, we're going to get um, stuck straight in. We only have a few minutes this morning, and I want to use uh, the time well. And, uh, and as, as Ian has said, we as a church have been looking at uh, the book um, of Exodus. And uh, the book of Exodus is the main book in the Old Testament in which the, the God of the Bible, the Christian God, makes himself known himself. He uses his own words and his own acts to do that, not someone else's words, um, but his own. And so if you're investigating Christianity um, and trying to work out who God is and what he is like and what he is doing, then Exodus is actually a really, really important book um, to read. And so I really do genuinely hope that today is helpful for you as you see the God, the, the, the God that we believe in here at Redeemer revealed in his own words. And as we've been looking at um, over the course of the last few weeks, as, as Ian explained in his introduction to the reading, th these mighty and, and powerful acts that God brings on the earth are all used to declare who he is and to reveal what he is like. Um, that The plagues that, that God brings against Egypt um, um, in Pharaoh, any of you who went to, to um, um, Sunday school as kids, um, that's maybe something that you, you learned about, or the incredible uh, parting of the Red Sea, which we looked at last week. Again, that's something that you may have have heard about from when uh, you were young. All these astonishing cataclysmic displays of power are all focused around one main aim, and that is to save his people from slavery and to bring them to freedom into the promised land. You see, Exodus not only reveals the God of the Bible to us in his own words and acts, it reveals to us a God whose main characteristic is to specifically save people from incredible suffering. However, for those of you who are considering Christianity or, or investigating Christianity, even for those of you here this morning who, who maybe haven't considered it at all, well, the powerful acts of God that are seen in Exodus and in other parts of the Old Testament may raise in your minds the question that I want to tackle this morning. And it's a question that comes up with many people who are skeptical about Christianity, and that is, isn't the God of the Old Testament just a really big bully? Isn't the God of the Old Testament just someone who likes to throw his weight around in acts of judgment that are far too over the top just to prove a point? God saves, fine, but, but couldn't there have been a much less deadly way to have done that for his people in Exodus? Why so much death, destruction and despair to get there? Why the plagues at all? Why the death on the firstborn? Why the Red Sea? Indeed, let me just bring to mind some of the things that were said in our passage this morning from Exodus 15. And if you have a Bible with you, it might be really helpful to have that, that passage open in front of you. This is the song as Ian said, that Moses sings to God as he brings them up out of the Red Sea to safety. And in verse 3, for example, we read that the Lord is a man of war. In verse 7, we read that the Lord, this God, sends out his fury and it consumes his enemies like stubble. 
In verse 12, Moses sings that the God of the Old Testament will stretch out his hand and the earth will swallow up his enemies. Moses is describing specifically there what has just happened to the Egyptians under the seas of the Red Sea. Is that something we should be celebrating? Is is that the, the kind of God that I want to know? And as people see that language concerning God in the Old Testament, the question is then asked, well, why can't he be like the God of the New Testament? Jesus, Jesus who claimed to be God, but instead of destruction, preaches peace. Instead of an eye for an eye um, and tooth for a tooth, preaches turn the other cheek and love your enemies. Instead of judgment, preaches hope and life and love. As a well-known BBC presenter once said in a religious question panel program on uh, uh, one Sunday morning on BBC Two, he said this. He said, in contrast to the uh, um, allegedly irresistible, meek and mild New Testament deity depicted by Jesus, the God of the Old Testament seems to be a capricious, vindictive and insatiable being who exerts prompt reprisals on his enemies upon the slightest of provocations Indeed, he continued, I would willingly believe in Jesus to some extent if I didn't have to believe in the God of the Old Testament. So how does Christianity, which claims that there is only one God across the whole of the Bible, square this circle? And what does Christianity do about a seemingly brutal God in the Old Testament? Well, I put it to you this morning that there is only one God revealed in the Bible. And that, in fact, we see all the attributes of the Old Testament God in Jesus Christ in the New Testament. And not only that, but actually that across the Bible, we see a God who is not vindictive and not hateful. On the contrary, we see someone who is good, gracious, loving, kind, generous and merciful. A God who is willing and ready to save anyone and everyone who comes to him. And so that is what we're going to look at now. Who is the God of the Old Testament? How can he be like anything uh, like Jesus in the New Testament? And more importantly, is this the kind of God that I really want to know? And in answer to those questions, I have just two quick points uh, to share with you this morning. And the first is that the God of the Old Testament is not a vindictive bully. Rather, he is supremely just. You see, the acts that we see God perform with such power and ferocity in Exodus and in other parts of the Old Testament is not him being vindictive or or, or brutish. Rather, these powerful acts reveal his deep, deep anger with injustice in the earth and his ability and power to do something about it. Now, as Ian prays, justice or injustice is a very hot topic at the moment, isn't it? Um, Over the past week, we have seen some of the most powerful images uh, displayed um, on our TV screens from um, the US of people burning with the anger of injustice on the back of a truly unjust, pointless and brutal death. People have been marching against the deep injustice of racism and of it going specifically unpunished and unchallenged. And not just in the US, but across the entire world. In every single country is this a sad reality. And I could quote to you any number of quotes I picked up this week about uh, the injustice that people feel, 
and how it makes them feel. But there was one that struck a chord with me as I watched the BBC News. It was from an African-American man being interviewed on the BBC, and he said the following. It's the injustice that gets me, he says. The injustice in this world is unspeakable. The injustice of racism on the one hand and it being allowed to thrive in our society on the other. That people treat others the way they do and get away with it. It cuts me to my very core. Anger doesn't begin to describe how I feel. And what's even worse is knowing that there is nothing that I can ultimately do about it. We will keep protesting, we will keep marching, we will keep trying, but nothing will ever change. That is quite a remarkable and raw statement, isn't it? And those things could be said by any human about any sense of injustice, for we get what that guy really feels. As humans, we viscerally understand injustice more than anything. We really feel it. Like this man said, it cuts us to the core. We feel the anger of burning injustice in our bones. When a dictator is not brought to account and he dies in luxury with the blood of millions of innocent victims on his hands, we really feel that. When the corrupt politician is proven to have broken the law and gets away with it on a technicality of politics, the deep burning injustice of, of racism, of sexism, or classism, or wealth, or privilege, or status... Even the everyday injustices in our own lives where we don't get the credit that we genuinely deserve. When I'm taken out by someone and they're not called to account, where I'm reprimanded for something I genuinely didn't do. Everyday, intense, crippling miscarriages of justice. We really feel them. Nothing eats away at us like injustice. It keeps us awake at night. Injustice makes people risk their lives to try and do something about it more than any other issue. Nothing motivates the human heart like searing injustice. And so we cry what we wouldn't give for there to be true justice in the world. And with that in mind, we head back to Exodus. When in the light of injustice in, in the light of an evil ruler, Pharaoh, who wants to wipe out an entire nation, that the words of Exodus 15 that are sung to the God of the Old Testament seem entirely appropriate. And in fact, not only appropriate, but, but deeply welcomed. You see, in the light of unchecked injustice, we want someone who will, verse 3 of chapter 15, wage war on it. In the light of unchecked injustice, we want someone who will, verse 6, shatter the enemy of all that is good in the world. In the light of unchecked injustice, we want someone, verse 7, whose righteous fury consumes evil and the perpetrators of evil. That is what God does. And he does it perfectly. The pharaohs of Egypt wanted to murder two-year-old boys just to keep a slave force in check. The pharaohs of Egypt wanted to remove the tools of their slaves and yet increase the demands on them. They are murderous, vindictive, genocidal rulers, and God will not let that go unpunished. 
And even at this point, if you're worried about the kind of language that God uses to dispense his justice, then listen to this quote, again from this week, from a, from a normal um, American college graduate who was simmering um, in the face of injustice. Again, she was, uh, this was on CNN. Um, she was interviewed and she said this. She said, I only wish that my anger could actually achieve something. I only wish it could be used as a tool for war against the tyranny of injustice. These words that this girl uses rightly are exactly the same words that are used in Exodus 15 about the God of justice. Can you see? The God of the Old Testament is able to do perfectly what we could only dream we could do ourselves. His perfect anger, his righteous anger can do something about injustice. It is a tool of war against evil. The words here in Exodus 15 concerning this God are the words we use ourselves in the face of injustice. The difference is when we seek injustice, we get it wrong and we are powerless to see it through. When God fights injustice, he gets it perfectly right. And he does have the power to see it through. And so can you see that the God of the Old Testament is not vindictive? He's not a bully. Bullies are cowards who pick on the weak. Pharaoh is a bully. Without us even realizing it, God is in fact exactly the kind of God we actually dream of seeing work in the world. Without us even realizing it, the God of the Old Testament is is the kind of God with the, the kind of power and the right kind of justice that we will march the streets for. And that is why this song is sung in Exodus 15. Because the defeat of injustice in the earth can't help but bring forth incredible praise. After this murderous ruler in Pharaoh and his rule has been done away with, after this act of astonishing rescue through the Red Sea to safety, the the people of God can't help but rejoice. And so they're able to sing with with the same fervor that, that we would sing if justice was won for us on the scale that we have seen that it has been demanded of this week. I will sing to the Lord, said the people of God, for he has triumphed gloriously over injustice. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him. Well, as I let that sink in for a moment, and you might well want to come back to me on a lot of that later, and that's absolutely fine. That's that's what we're having this morning for. But, But in moving on, that still leaves us with one question. And that is, if this kind of God exists, then why is injustice still allowed to reign so freely in the world? Why does he not just do away with it once and for all? Well, that brings us to our second and last point this morning. For the answer to that question is because, secondly, the God of the Old Testament is not cruel. Rather, he is patient, merciful, and lovingly self-sacrificial. You see, ultimately, God, in his desire to save people, reveals himself over long periods of time and allows people, even the most wretched of people, to come to know him and to be saved by him. God is inherently patient. 
And that is exactly what we see in Exodus in the God of the Old Testament. Back in um, chapter 9, verses 14 to 15, during the the, uh, plague of hail, as those of you who will be following us will remember, God says something astonishing to this Pharaoh. He says this, he says, For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people, so that you may know, Pharaoh and Egypt, that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put you out of my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off from the entire earth. You see, God could have smote Pharaoh off the face of the earth in one moment with a click of his fingers. He didn't need all that time to prove his glory. He didn't need to go through the the ten plagues. A brutal God might well have done that and not given the opportunity for Pharaoh to relent and to repent. But God doesn't. He, He does give Pharaoh the opportunity to know that he is God in all the earth who saves. Nine times God gives Pharaoh, the murderer and slave ruler, a chance to listen to him. Indeed, back in chapter 13 last week, we see the telling sign that the Israelites had been in the land of Egypt for 430 years. For almost half a millennium, God gave successive pharaohs and their people an opportunity to embrace his chosen people and to be blessed by him. The God of the Old Testament is deeply patient and abundantly merciful, and even with the most despicable of people, And this is where the rubber really hits the road for us sitting here today, because this attribute of mercy and patience in this God of justice and righteous judgment is supremely important for us. Because as we back away from Exodus and take in the Bible as a whole, we suddenly realize that, in fact, we are not innocent bystanders in all of this, as we might first assume. For the reality of the world, as the Bible portrays it truly to be, is that we are all rebellious and all of us deserve to face God's justice. In the first book of the Bible, Genesis, we are told that this good creator God created the earth in perfection. And humankind was the pinnacle of this perfection, allowed to enjoy creation, enjoy each other and enjoy God forever. But God also gave humans the choice to follow him and listen to him and remain under his good rule and blessing or to reject his rule and go it alone. And in Genesis chapter 3, we see that humanity decided to reject the good God of creation and walk away from everything that is good. And so we struggle. Everything we struggle with, including the injustice we face every day, big and small we see across the earth, is all down to our trying to play God and us getting it drastically wrong. Wanting to live without the help of the creator who knows us better than we know ourselves and who has our best interests at heart. It's it's like a child who, who doesn't want to stick close to his dad, wants to play in the road, thinking that his dad is trying to stifle his freedom by not letting him, not realizing that his dad is wanting to keep him alive out of love. So we run away from the safety and goodness of our Father God and we run into the road and into the path of danger and sadness. And so as we reject God, we we fall into what the Bible calls sin. We fall into our own hatred of others. 
We fall into patterns of selfishness and pride, and we fall into our own prejudices. None of us are innocent of prejudice. All of us have looked on someone at some point and judged them immediately in our hearts, if not by the color of their skin, then by their gender, or by how they identify, or their class, or their clothing, or their speech, or or their knowledge, or the way they hold themselves, or their past. All of us have taken people out and has gone unnoticed. All of us have made life really hard for other people. And we know that's true. We may not be racist, homicidal megalomaniacs. We might not be murderers, but we are able to bring astonishing pain on the people who we claim we love and on those we know we don't. And the just God of the Bible, who is, who is holy, that's what our first song was singing about, who is holy and good and can have nothing to do with evil and hurt and sin, says, well, that is just not good enough. It's just not good enough that that rebellion and that sin against me and my people goes unchecked and unpunished. I will do something about it. So the holy God of justice, the justice that we burn for, has to do something about it. He has to do something about us. He has to remain faithful to his character. And that is where where death comes into the equation. The Apostle Paul says in the New Testament book of Romans that the wages of sin is death. We all die. We know that. It's a sad reality that we have brought on ourselves. And it is right that we really don't like it. And so can you see suddenly I'm now not uh, looking at the pharaohs and the unjust rulers of the world. but I'm now looking at me. And suddenly I'm I'm deeply hoping that there's something that can be done for me as I stand under the holy God of supreme justice. And there is. There is something that can be done. Because wonderfully, this same God of justice is also at the same time the God of patience and mercy and loving self-sacrifice. And we see that very clearly in the book of Exodus. For as God brings justice against Pharaoh and those who bring evil in the earth, as he patiently allows Pharaoh to to see him for who he really is and to respond to him, so he treats his own people in exactly the same way. In Exodus, from this point on, the people of God, despite being saved by him, do nothing but rebel and grumble. They want to worship other gods. They want to go to other lands. They want to return back to Egypt. They want to get rid of God. They want to get rid of God's representative, Moses. They they want to do astonishingly hurtful things to each other. And time and time again, God reminds them of his justice as he disciplines them. And time and time again, at the same time, he remains mind-bendingly patient as he reveals more and more of himself to them, giving them time to come back to him never relenting in his love for them, despite who they are. Until we get to the point where we get to Exodus 34, where in a few weeks' time, we will hear these incredible words of God being spoken as he reveals his creedal statement about himself for the first time. And he says this, I, says the God of the Old Testament, am the Lord, the Yahweh, I am God, a God who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, 
but who will by no means clear the guilty. The God of justice and the God of mercy and love is all wrapped up there in one sentence. I am the Lord who will be merciful and loving and who will forgive, says the God of the Old Testament. But at the same time, I will not let the guilty go unpunished as I remain supremely just. Now that leaves us with one last question as we close. How? How can God be both just and mercifully loving and forgiving? How can he love and save sinful people whilst bringing perfect justice against sinful people? Isn't that a contradiction in terms? In order to forgive, justice by definition isn't met. And in order to bring perfect justice, we cannot be forgiven or released from death. So what on earth does God do so that that doesn't terminally destroy his character and at the same time destroy us in the process? Well, God sends his son, is what he does. The God of the Old Testament comes to earth in the form of a man. The deepest form of condescension you could imagine, where he makes himself known, not just in his own words, as we see in Exodus, but now in human flesh. Invisible matter, in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the invisible God of the Old Testament now gives up his glory and becomes the visible God of the new. That is what we celebrate at Christmas, this God of power and might and sovereignty and justice. He comes into the earth as a pathetic, helpless, dependent, drooling baby. As he becomes a man who suffers more than any human. And as he becomes a man who lives the life of a human in total perfection. Not sinning, not rebelling, not breaking God's rules. And therefore, the only human in history not needing to be under God's holy hand of just judgment. And therein lies the twist of this God of the Old Testament. For in Jesus, this is where his perfect justice and his perfect mercy and forgiveness uh, truly meet. For in Jesus, he chooses to put himself under the punishment for sin himself. As he ultimately dies on a cross. The truly sinless man dying the death that a rebel and a criminal deserve in order that those who come to him seeking his forgiveness may instead go free, receiving God's perfect righteousness instead. That is how God can be perfectly just and perfectly merciful and loving. He does not let the guilty go unpunished as Jesus takes on the guilt of every sinful man, woman and child on himself and takes their punishment on their behalf. But in so doing, God is perfectly merciful and forgiving as rebellious, sinful people who come to him and ask for his forgiveness go free and burdened by guilt and judgment. And as we think on that, so we now see what the point of the Exodus is all about. The saving of God's people from the Egyptians through the Red Sea is a a picture of what Jesus Christ does for us on the cross today. For now he saves not just a nation, but all peoples. Every single kind of person, every single person in the world is invited to be in his family, to be saved from slavery, not to Egypt, but to sin and death into freedom and life. Guys, the reason we are here as a church is that we deeply, deeply want you to know this God. 
We deeply want you to see the God of the universe, who has made himself known in our world through the words of the Old Testament, through his humanity in the new, in order that you might come to him and be saved by him and live life for an eternity with him. And that last point is really important. Because three days after his death, this Jesus who was crucified rose again, conquering the grave and death itself, proving that the new lives that we lead as forgiven people in him will result not in death anymore, but in everlasting resurrected life. Proving that this Jesus is not just meek and mild, but every inch the mighty and powerful God of the Old Testament, as his power is now even more fully displayed as he breaks the back of death itself. This is the kind of saving rescue that we see so clearly sung in this passage in Exodus 15. Right at the end of our passage, verse 13, you have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed, sings, sings the saved people of God. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. You see, Jesus has redeemed us. That is, he has brought us back from death by payment of his own murdered body to a holy abode, a wonderful home, in other words. Not just the promised land as it is here in Exodus, but the new creation, heaven, eternity, true life beyond earthly death, a new kingdom where there will be no more tears, no more crying, no more pain, no more sin, no more rebellion, and definitively no more injustice. Can you see that is why justice in the world is not yet fully dealt with? Because Jesus has not called time on the earth. He hasn't come back to deal with it as he will deal with it. And that is because he is incredibly merciful and patient with us. He is waiting. He waits. He waits some more. He waits and he waits as he did with Pharaoh, as he did with his people in the wilderness, in order to give us as much time as possible under his character for us to respond to him and to be saved by him and to be forgiven in him. Eventually, he will call time on his patience. He will come and bring justice to those that we crave would be brought justice to. But before then, now is the day of salvation. Now is the opportunity for me, for you, to trust in this Lord Jesus Christ. The reason we invited you here today is to give you the opportunity to do just that. To respond to the God of justice that we know we crave but also to respond to the God of forgiveness and mercy and loving self-sacrifice that we desperately need. Well, let me just pray for us quickly as we close. Heavenly Father God, thank you so much for what we have been able to look at in your word today. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for revealing yourself to us yourself using your own words and your own incredible power in the earth. Father, thank you for what we see in the Old Testament. Thank you so much that we see a merciful and patient and loving God who desires to bring people to himself, but who will bring real, true and perfect justice into the earth. Thank you so much, Heavenly Father, that we see you in full human form in the Lord Jesus Christ in the New Testament, where we see how your justice and your forgiveness meet and works. 
Heavenly Father, thank you for your sacrifice for us on the cross. Thank you that because of that, because of your resurrection, because you took the punishment that we deserved, every single man, woman, and child can come to you and be saved through you, no matter what we have done. Thank you that we can be made clean. We can be put right. We can be set on the path everlasting so that we will no longer face or fear death, but that we would see you in eternity. Father God, be with us now as we sing and, and as we think more about these things. For, for, the, for these guys who have come uh, today on Zoom and on YouTube who, who are looking at all of this, we pray that this would have been helpful. Lord, please speak into their hearts, we pray. And be with us now as, as we ask and answer questions. Thank you that nothing is off the table. Thank you that we are able to scrutinize the Bible really carefully. And we pray that you would help us do that very much. In your mighty name. Amen.